Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. We have a jam-packed episode, Jamie, today. It's going to be yeah. good to get to. How you doing? No, no doubt. I am good. Um, it is... It is scorching hot everywhere in the country. Um, maybe not out there. I don't know. Is it? No, I'm just going to tell you that it's scorching hot here. And so no one else oh. comes here ever. <laughs> no, I feel like a local man. People here are like, don't tell anybody that it's super awesome here. No, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's true. Like there's no humidity. It's 74 degrees. The sun is out. Everything is green because we've gotten plenty of rain. It's amazing. And I'm really just going to keep talking in this unenthusiastic voice to deter you from, from coming here. Unless you're just <laughs> going to come visit. That's fine. Um, yeah. Go visit Bozeman. Check it out. Everywhere else is, is scorching hot. I was trying to do some work outside yesterday. I was like, nope, this is not happening. It's all good, though. I'm excited to be doing this. And like you said, jam-packed episode. We got to have somebody on that I've followed for a long time on social media, Dr. Amy Fast out of McMinnville, Oregon, uh, assistant principal, vice principal for a while. Now the, now running this show out there. Um, and it's a really cool conversation because it is education and it is, but it's leadership. It's always more than the pieces, right? A lot of the pieces in here are specific to how can we do X in education? And yet you pull out the pieces and it's clear you could just apply this to everything. I could do this stuff as a parent. I could do this stuff as a husband. I can do this stuff in the business. Like everything that we talk about from Dr. Fast is about how do we get better? And that's what we do here on the Eyes of Mindset podcast. We talk about how to get better at what we want to do in life. And it brings it to intentionality. And the question that just overarches this whole conversation is what is the purpose? What's the point? And fill in the blank, schools, work, coaching. What are you trying to accomplish? And if you aren't asking yourself that question personally and about whatever role you play in your profession or your volunteer, whatever it is, if you're not asking yourself that question, you aren't living eyes up. You aren't going to find your best in whatever that is. Well, and, and the reality is like, if you're not asking it often, if you're not talking about it often, if you're not saying it over and over and over again, it, and then putting it into action, you're going to struggle to, to connect with that regularly. And people, it's just going to be words that people don't believe in. And so, uh, yeah, I was, I was excited to get to have this conversation. We obviously align a lot philosophically in terms of education. She and I, uh, you know, it, it was good. It's good to connect with, with like-minded folks. And it's also good to connect with people that are going to challenge you. And I think she does both. Well, and she talked about the importance of that and yeah. why what they do is so unique and why it's so important to engage those different different perspectives and opinions. We got better today. You will as well. Here we go. We are now joined by Dr. Amy Fast, principal um, in McMinnville, Oregon. I, you are one of, one of the good ones, one of the Twitter followers I really enjoy um, as, a, as a former educator. 
I was always drawn to kind of what you were talking about from a leadership perspective in, in administration, because it's not always that. And we'll talk about what that is in just a second, but thank you for joining us. I, I reached out a long time ago to try and try and hook this up because I was interested in what you had to say. So thanks. Thanks for coming on and, and being willing to join us. Thank you for having me. And I don't know if you know, but uh, I've been permanently suspended from Twitter since about January. So I did. Yeah. I haven't seen much. <laughs> um, that is, that is interesting. And maybe that's an off air conversation or no, maybe I, you want I don't to have... actually know why I'm not oh. actually... <laughs> controversial, but maybe I was. That's awesome. So, interesting. Um, tell us, what your role is and what you guys uh, are about in McMinnville, because from my perspective, you guys are doing some really cool stuff to engage your student population. And I think your teachers and, and the people that you guys lead. So talk to us about kind of the administrative structure, just the, the leadership perspective that you guys bring in your school. Sure. So um, I'm the principal of a a uh, large high school and we're one high school town. So there's about 2,200 kids here and about 200 staff between licensed and classified um, employees. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I do think we do great things here, but the last year or two has been pretty hard. So I've been principal since fall of 2019. So basically a crisis principal, <laughs> uh, just, just in this role um, during the pandemic years, I was an assistant principal uh, beforehand. We do have a pretty cool gig here at the high school. Our mission is to um, ignite passion, pursue purpose, and rise to your worth, and that's for staff and students, um, and we do that in a lot of ways. I think one of the things that is pretty cool about our high school is um, that we have 17 career pathways, so a lot of our students are um, really engaged in classes that they're pretty passionate about, and that's a a real big value of ours. So um, I like it. I used to be an elementary teacher. Um, I used to teach fifth grade. And so high school is definitely, I love fifth graders. I wanted to teach the oldest group of kids I could and still have them all day long. And so I love that work. But then when I went to administration, high school is definitely my vibe. There's always energy, you know, here. Always, it's never boring. <laughs> There's always something going on. No doubt. So, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun. So you, you talked about 17 pathways. I do not have an education background. I'm working mental health. So, I, but that caught my attention because I don't think that's something that most schools do or how they're organized. So maybe tell us a little bit about what that means in terms of those pathways for those students. Sure. So in the state of Oregon, um, the Department of Education requires 24 credits in order to graduate high school. And as a school, we require 27. So those three extra credits are in career pathways. Um, and kids can uh, bebop around and explore different pathways or they can get what's called a pathway endorsement by getting all three credits in one pathway or two and a half credits in one pathway. So we have like criminal justice, fire and emergency services, health services, early childhood development, culinary arts, uh, horticulture, fabrication, construction. So. When you think about like major industries, uh, we try to offer as many as we have locally in our community um, so that kids can um, really get an experience in those industries before they leave high school so that they have an idea of what they want to pursue and either go on to college to pursue that or go right into the workforce. I, I love that you talked about in your local community. How do you partner with the community to offer those things? Because I think 
traditionally a lot of schools, yes, they have partnerships with some, you know, professions, careers and things like that. But I think you mentioned several in there and obviously you're a bigger school, so you can do some more things, but at the same time, that's a lot to offer in terms of um, bringing in and, and, and engaging the community. So how do you well, guys no, go about And a lot that? to organize, right? A lot, <laughs> a lot <laughs> to juggle and handle and create, foster, develop and maintain those relationships also. So that's a really interesting question because as I've moved out of education, I've gotten into some of those conversations with other business owners and business people that are like, we would love to partner with the school to create and foster more people and more interest in our career field. And yet that's really challenging. So how do you guys go about doing that? That's an interesting really good question. question. And I would say that we continually <laughs> trying to improve and systematize that so much so that we just created a position for that purpose specifically um, because the person really, like we've always had the administrator at the high school in that role, but the day-to-day goings on at the high school make it really tricky for us to interact with business partners in the community. So we need to kind of have a flexed schedule for that person and make it their one lane that they drive in, so to speak. Um, but we do have, when, when students are in their capstone classes, so like their junior and senior year when they're taking their last class in the trajectory of the pathway, um, that includes an internship component. So we have a lot of students working in schools, working in, you know, the, the uh, police department, all sorts of places within the community um, so that they're getting that real industry experience that aren't inside the walls of the school, but are actually, you know, in the real world with those industries. That's, you said something super fascinating as, again, a former educator and, and having maybe some dalliance and flirtation with the administrative pathway. Um, I've been traditionally connected to, to pretty small schools. The biggest school I think I ever served was we had like 600 students in the high school. Um, and so, so quite a bit smaller, you know, 150 or so kids a grade. And what I see from administrators is not the thing that you just said, driving in your own lane, right? Administrators are on, interstate eight lane highways switching lanes all the time exit ramps a million things on their plate a thousand different things in each on each plate that's creating stress and challenge and like how do you guys because i i think i've seen some of your structure and some of the stuff that you guys have shared where where you have a pretty cohesive administrative staff that maybe even feels like you have the capacity to be in your lane as much as possible. That is not a normal thing. And that takes, I think, pretty excellent leadership. How has that come up? How, is that something you've maintained or sustained? Or is that something you guys helped implement? Where did, where does that come? Because I feel like from the education world, everybody's juggling a million things all the time. It's true. And I'd be lying if I said we did it well, but we're on a mission to do it well. So one of the things that I think is hard for me is my skill set is not typically uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. It's typically, you know what I mean? An inch wide and a mile deep is more my MO. But in this role, I have to know just a little bit about everything, but I don't know a lot about anything. (laughs) Um, so, you know, there's people in the high school that have specialties and I know who those people are and I tap them for various things. I make sure that we have five administrators at the high school. So myself and then four VPs, and I make sure that our hierarchy is as flat as possible so that my job is just to make sure that they can do their jobs. Um, but ultimately I'm not the person that 
micromanages their work or that has to okay all the things. I just make sure that, like you said, they understand what their priority is, what the lane is that I want them to be driving and that will help us realize the mission of the school. So we have, um, like you said, there's always different programs and initiatives and practices and things that people oversee. But if you lose sight of the reason why you're overseeing that work, you're not going to do it well. So I make sure that like one of our uh, administrators knows that she's overseeing student engagement. So her whole purpose is to engage students in school. And under that purpose, we she does the work with attendance. She does the work with ninth grade teens to ensure a smooth transition to high school. So all the things that I assign her, so to speak, have to do with student engagement. Another administrator, his whole lane is student safety. Um, so everything that might go under student safety, including facilities, goes under his. And so that's for me, I am a big picture person. So I need to be able to connect things in my head and I need to keep coming back to like the, the overall purpose um, in order to lead well. So that's a theme that has come up quite often in our, our podcast conversations with mostly with coaches and, and some administration where it's, you know, the concept, Jamie, I'm thinking of is, is freedom Excuse within me. the objective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I just heard you saying, okay, these people understand what I expect of them and we're tapping into their strengths and their passions. How, how do you maintain that? Because I think that's the other thing where it's like, okay, I, I think of me as a coach. It's like, okay, I identified the strength and I tell you what you, I want you to do. And then there's a billion other things that I need to do. How do you continue to maintain that cohesive direction and, and freedom for, for those people to, to do their jobs well. Sure. And for me, I'm, I'm someone who it's not my, um, my, it's not my default to, um, to micromanage or systematize things. So I have to make sure that I, in our weekly meetings, we always come back to what our priorities are and we always share out with each other so we can help each other within those priorities. Um, and share, you know, things that we're working on and things that have gone well and things that we need support with. And if I don't like schedule that in, it will totally go by the wayside every time. And so I make sure before the year even starts that there are every week meetings set up where we are coming together as a team and we're always coming back to what was our purpose, what were our priorities before the year started, and then sharing out how's each of us doing um, within those areas. And then I think the other piece is what I've realized because I've worked on a lot of different teams and there is a synergy that's needed in order to do the work well. Like making, like having fun and enjoying the people on your team is a necessity. It's an absolute uh, necessity or the work feels like a chore. Um, and so for us, we make sure that we are having fun at work as much as we can every day, at least when we're not having fun laughing at all the things that are, you know, getting in the way of us having fun. I think that's a, a, a necessary component to um, remembering your purpose as well. Because if you're miserable, your purpose doesn't, it feels overwhelming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you wrote a book called the, it's the mission, not the mandates. And uh, you know, it's been a while since I've read it, but I was, I was encouraged by by what you're speaking to here because in education and i think no matter what whatever your business is whatever occupation you're in whatever you know your team is if you're if you're a coach what what we, we get caught up in is the mandate to produce x to 
create X results, to have this data point, to get to something. And you've spoken to purpose just over and over and over again in just a very short period of time that we've been talking. It's clear that that is communicated to the people often. How do you engage people with that purpose? Because their purpose might not be your purpose, right? Yeah. How do you engage people to connect with that thing for themselves? And then I, my question, when you have 2,300 students, how do they feel that connection to their personal purpose? That's a really great um, question. And I would say it's been particularly challenging during like distance yeah. learning the last couple of years when you're not able to have people in person. We had two in-person staff meetings this year because in Oregon, there were a lot you know, stricter requirements um, and mandates around COVID. And so it was extremely challenging when you're trying to have a collective group of 200 people come together around the same mission. Um, it's hard to do that without being able to talk to them. Um, and, you know, um, Zoom meetings can only accomplish so much. I've always, this sounds, um, this sounds trite, but I've always sent out like a weekly email every Sunday before the week starts. And I usually communicate purpose, not through like a preachy, this is what we're about and this is what we need to do, but like more storytelling. Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, I'll tell a story about a student or a staff member, or just a story about something that's not taking place in education to kind of illustrate what we're all about. And that this is, this work is all about growing humans and just keep bringing people back to that um, big picture. And I would say what's, you know, I, I try to do the same with students in terms of storytelling and I'm pretty uh, present on social media in the way that they can access and also try to be pretty vulnerable. So like my account is public and when things like this uh, shooting in Texas happened, I posted an open letter to our community and our students um, and they're able to interact with that. So kind of uh, with such a large school community, narrowing that distance between you know, students and myself is helpful, helping them see me as a human. But then I'd say the biggest thing is not in some kind of like grandiose mission statement or meeting or video or, or email that you can put out, but it's more like living that, that mission in your day-to-day -day interactions with everyone and modeling that. And then when teachers are modeling that in the hallway or with each other, the, the mission is just like alive. Like you can feel it in the halls and you can feel it in the classrooms. And that's how students mostly know what we stand for. And then I make sure that it's also super clear on paper in writing and said out loud, again, making space for it at every single meeting. Like our mission doesn't just live on letterhead. There's always like a context of remember, this is what we're all about. This is why we have these meetings in the first place. We're trying to help students rise to their worth. Like every time come back to that. And, you know, how, how is it that we best do that? And what helps is there's a lot of debate and deliberation and diversity of thought around that. Like the how is the harder part, right? Most people agree we want students to grow <laughs> and we want them to be good humans. There's a lot of difference of opinion and how that's best tackled. But when you can find that common ground on, we want the same thing and you just accept that diversity of thought around the table. Um, it's a little bit easier to have those hard conversations than if you are confused about what you're trying to accomplish in the first place. Jamie, you took a bunch of notes there. You got anything? I don't want to, I don't want to step on it. Usually we go back and forth, but you got a lot there. So, yeah, well, so the thing that I think drew me to your account in the first place is the vibrance 
of the student population, right? I've been in a lot of schools where you go to a pep fest at a high school and it's like, Meh. you know, 20% engagement. And I'm, I was a teacher, right? You know, like I had, we had a high school, middle school that was combined. So right. The, the middle school kids would come to the pep fest and like they, they would call me Mr. America. Cause on, we had, our school was red, white, and blue. Right. And so like, I would wear, I'm, I'm going to share too much right now, but my <laughs> wife used to dance in high school and she had these like red, white, and blue, like stretchy pants that happened yeah. to fit me, even though she's much smaller than I. And so I would wear those to school and then I'd have, I'd just be all decked out. And so these, these fifth graders would be like, Mr. America teacher, Mr. America. Teacher. Like they had no idea what my name was. And I'm like, I was all in, but I was one and maybe three other teachers were, right. and then maybe 12 students, right? Right. In the high school, the, the fifth graders were all in, but yeah. the, 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 the high school was not, you yeah. know? And so I, I watch the videos that get posted and then I like, then I'm digging. Right. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, you know, soccer state championship, like game, look at all the people here. Like, look at the engagement, look at the fun that is being had. And then, you know, you guys have red carpet Fridays and yeah. just like crate and people actually do it. They come yeah. in and they dance and they like, they get all decked out and your teachers do it. And I'm just going, man, the buy-in, right. And it's easy to pick and choose, right. It's easy to pick and choose and say, this video is of this one kid actually doing it. And that's our social media. But it was like, it was just, a, you know, and then there's know, things it's going real. on. It's not yeah, a curated culture. It's really, yeah. really the yeah. culture. And so to me, when you say something like live and model, narrow the distance, accept diversity of thought, and your community is a diverse community. There's, yeah. there's a lot. There's a huge uh, you know, minority population that exists in that community. And so you say all these things. And to me, what I hear is we actually do this stuff, which is the force multiplier, right? We can talk about it all day. It's just really hard. It's simple stuff that you're talking about. Right. And, and yet it is incredibly challenging to do. It is. It is. And I, I'm lucky in that when I stepped into this role, that culture already existed. Like I didn't have to take a school from bad, so to speak, however you want to define that, to good. I got to take a school or trying to take a school from like great to groundbreaking, which is fun work. It's super tricky to, to really go that next level in our field. Um, but yeah, the, the culture, the culture here is real. And I think part of that is it's not about trying to hype students. Students want to be joyful at school. Who doesn't, right? It's more about, um, again, telling the story. So when you tell students like, Hey, we've got something special that not a lot of schools in the state or even in the country have, and this is who we are. And you guys, I tell them all the time, like, cause we're a high poverty school. Um, and like you said, we're very diverse is like, and, and our achievement is off the charts in yeah. comparison to like schools. Um, and so when you, uh, so many students in high schools or elementary schools or wherever don't even know how successful they are. Like they're going to school all these years and they might individually know what their grades are, but they don't know as a student body, like, how are we doing? How, how are you doing? Um, and I would say to own your education. So their education here is theirs. And we're here as staff to facilitate that, right? So their data their results are also um, theirs. And so we tell them all the time, like you guys are, you guys are money, like you're off the charts with your success. And also you're, 
your level of hype is beating out everyone across the state and they just own that. And they love that that's uh, for us a measure of success because we we look at that as uh, their hopefulness as the most important measure of success in our school over their test scores. And so um, their, their aim is to be hopeful. Like that's their goal more so than to pass the SAT, you know, with a certain number or to get a certain score on their standardized tests. And so when that's also their aim, like they know that being hopeful is the greatest predictor of success in high school and in life afterwards, then like, then we start investing in that hope and hope means dancing on the red carpet when you walk into school. You know what I mean? Hope means screaming at that assembly. Um, and it's, it's a behavior. It's not just a feeling. And we talk about that a lot. Like your, your level of hopefulness is a mindset. It's something that you have to habituate and practice. Um, and it's going to be the, the thing that leverages your success in life. And, and that's something that's demystified to them from the, from the jump. And so they own that too. So you talked about taking over a, a culture that was pretty good and going from good to great or great to unbelievable groundbreaking. But so something you also said earlier was you said, you know, we do a lot of really cool things. I don't know that we do a, a, a lot of them really well. We're on a mission to do them really well. And I love that because, because I think that's, that's part of this too. And I think a part where some of us struggle is we're really good at the, Hey, your, your scores are exceedingly good compared to other schools, our size, your culture is really good. How do you guys balance that along with, Hey, there's still room for growth. Here are, here are the ways we can do that. Whether that's with the students or with the staff, however you want to take that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's our next step as a school. And this is the first time next year that we've made room for like a late start where we can actually intentionally collaborate with each other. It's something that we've been missing for a while, but I would say the most important way to, to talk about uh, growth and how to lean into places you struggle is by me starting, starting with me modeling that. So part of those weekly emails is also me being real about what I'm struggling with, where I feel like I failed, how I'm going to try to fail forward, like what's on the, you know, my action plan for getting better. Um, and part of that is just pulling the curtain back on like we, ed- education is so tricky because when you criticize someone as an educator, it's, it's akin to criticizing someone as a parent. Like it just hits hard. It's a personal, you know what I mean? It's, it's a personal <clears throat> thing. It feels like, even if it's not because it is such a human endeavor. And so I think being super vulnerable as leaders in that we don't get that human piece right all the time. I mean, we're fallible. And especially when um, the work is such heavy emotional labor, like the lift is so much emotionally, there are days as a principal, I'm just spent and I'm trying to make my face look like come into my office. I want to hear what you have to say, but my face is probably like, I can't do this right now. And so a part of it is owning that, just saying, you know, it's complete, it would be superhuman if you could be on all the time um, in that way, when this work is, you know, such hard work. Um, and so owning the parts that we struggle with and, and making it okay to have those moments, I think is, is probably the most important thing to do. So I would have loved working in your building, right? Because I, I am like, as you speak to your philosophy, clearly this is why I reached out, right? I I'm the guy who like, I, I called it five minute Fridays, but it was never five minutes, right? I kind of <laughs> gave them. I gave my class like the opportunity to just write down a question, put it in a cup 
ask me anything, ask me whatever you want. And I'm going to answer as many as I can in five minutes. Right. Or if it's one or 13, whatever, like if you want to know my favorite color, ask my favorite color. I don't really care if you want to know what's the, you know, I got one where it's like, what's the hardest thing you do, right? What's the hardest thing you do? I have no idea. Right. (laughs) And, and the thing that I said was like, receive love right I like that's a weird thing to say out loud but But John it's real talk yeah John is shaking his head and he goes yeah that's Jamie right like that's a hard thing for me to do is to is to be loved by other people right because my job is to make everybody else feel better and to be right like to get like that's why I taught and why as a coach and why like the the emotional labor that you talk about is essentially why I why I stepped away from teaching to do this because, you know, like emotionally all athletes leaders are invested in what they do. Mostly like they, they're invested in becoming better. And the people that we're working with opt in, in a high school, that is not true. Every kid has a day, (laughs) has a day where they do not want to be there. And they have a lot of days where they do not want to be there. And as a teacher, there are days where them not wanting to be there really makes it where you don't want to be there right. either. Yeah. How do we as leaders? And I think I know, I'm asking this question because I, I don't know that there is an answer, but I think you guys have done a good job based. How do you as a leader continue to motivate your people to motivate other people to want to opt in tomorrow, you know, like if, even if I'm not opting in today, how do I get them to opt in tomorrow? I think there's two, two parts to that one. And I think it just actually posted something about this. I had a, um, a counselor, like make me a carving at the end or he, he made me a carving at the end of the year. Our last day was Friday. Um, and he pulled some words I sent him in an email and it said, uh, the work doesn't feel good when it's easy. It feels good when it matters. And I think the first thing is to make sure the work always matters. And too often education, like you said, like what my book's about, which I think you're the second person in addition to my mother who's read it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think too often we get into the grind of like um, the job versus the work. Like we're, we focus on doing the job. You've got to turn in this paper by this day. You got to get your grades in by this day. You got to use this instructional strategy. You got to do this with your lesson plans. And we forget about the work. You know, what's, what's the real work? What's the stuff that really leverages what we're trying to get after with student growth? And I think um, that's number one is focusing on what matters because people, they don't thrive in work environments just that are easy. And that's why I struggle sometimes with the self-care movement, not because I don't think it's necessary. It's exponentially necessary for educators because of the field they're in and the asks that are placed upon them. But I don't believe it's always about, um, you know, lightening the load. I think sometimes it's about having the load be worth carrying. You know what I mean? Having it feel um, important. Uh, the other thing is that the, the work does need to be more sustainable. It's the way that our job is designed, like literally trying to fix everything in society in this one industry, which is what educators are tasked with. It's a sprint, not a marathon. I don't know anyone who can do it well for 30 years. I just don't. And when I say do it well, like, well, like you're, I mean, that work is parenting, it's healthcare, it's mental health, like it's all the things. And you have to be like, you could maybe do it at 70% for 30 years, but otherwise 
Um, it's why so many people are getting out of the profession right now. So we owe it to students and we owe it to our communities and we owe it to educators to rethink, you know, our structures and systems. And, and, and if we're not going to take the load off of educators, then we need to think about how it's, we can make it more sustainable and, and add, you know, resources or people. And I get tired of people saying, you know, in America, there's, we put so much more money into schools and get worse results, so to speak. But American society is a completely different ballgame than lots of other countries around the world. So maybe it takes a lot more money. You know what I mean? So I think it's I think it's time to have that conversation as a society, as a principal this year, dealing with sub shortages and bus driver shortages and like paper shortages, like everything's just kind of it's like feels like a house of cards that's about ready to fall. And I'm just trying to like protect it from the wind all day long. That's felt like my my primary role. And so I worry you know, that we're, this house of cards isn't going to stay standing for very much longer unless we pay it some attention. So uh, this also may be an impossible question, but where do we even start with that? I, I, you strike me as someone who has innovative ideas and are certainly willing to share them. So I, I, I agree. I mean, I think you, you look at just the numbers of teachers leaving the profession and Jamie, this is not a shot at you because you, but this is, but you're part of those numbers, right? You chose to do something different, but not necessarily because Amy spoke to it. Exactly. Right. It was a sprint and I was a hundred percent all in all the time. And it felt like it was never going to end. Right. And my body, my mind, my heart, this is like, I, I, I do this any longer and I, I lose a lot of other things in my life, you know? So sorry, John, but that's why, right. That's why people are walking away because the load is yeah. unbearable at the type of excellence we want to meet when we're talking about this stuff. So, sorry. So again, being being on the outside looking into the educational system, I, I see two things. One, there's a larger societal overarching how we educate in America, right? Mm-hmm. And then two, it's at the local level within schools. How do you take care of your people and and that sort of thing? So I guess either one of those, what, what are some things that we can start doing differently or at least introduced to start thinking about differently? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, the, the obvious answer to me is listen, you know what I mean? Like we need to listen to students and we need to listen to staff members to figure out what the hurdles are um, in the work and what we can do to invest. But I think that my approach is actually the opposite of a lot of people's approaches. So a lot of people say, go back to making schools just about reading, writing and math <laughs> but the because that takes things off plates but the reality is society needs the things they need like we it's that now then the societal house of cards is going to crumble if we do that because there's this major need so instead i say double down in schools and let's be real about what schools do schools raise communities like whole communities and if that's the case let's make them the community hub and let's make schools the center of every community that like the police department and the healthcare and you know what I mean all these all these um, different entities work directly with schools to figure out how we can work together to support our community and I don't just mean students I mean I've got 17 career pathways why aren't parents taking classes at night using our welding facility you like we need to actually centralize schools as the foundation of our communities and make sure that parents and industry are an integral part of of that work rather than schools just being another standalone entity within the community, if that makes sense. 
that's so fascinating because I would say, I would argue now we're getting a little bit philosophical, but I would argue that the breakdown societally is because there is no central community standard any longer, right? Religion and the church was that standard for hundreds of years. And now the standard has devolved. And so when you say that teachers are parents, healthcare, mental health, all these things, they're also the foundational, I don't know, philosophical baseline for a lot of kids, right? This is, and that came from a certain place that came from a nuclear family. It came from the church. It came from a community driven, unified place that does not exist. A school is as close to that as we have in our modern society. And I will say in a divisive uh, culture and climate like we have right now, there's nothing that brings people together like kids. Like, so we live in a very purple community. So McMinnville's got right and left, you know what I mean? 50 and 50 for the most part. Um, And it could be really tricky to be the principal of a one high school, you know, one high school town during COVID when there's so much arguing um, you know, in the community about, do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Should we get a vaccine? Should we not? Like I was, I felt like I was in the middle of that ping pong match all the time. Um, and I, what was amazing is our parents came together and our community came together and put their beliefs aside and did what was needed for the kids because of the, the mission that we sold as a school saying, you know, regardless of our beliefs, our kids deserve to play football. They deserve to play volleyball. They deserve to like, this is the rule. And let's show everyone else in the country uh, that we care about our kids and what we're about and that we can do hard things because we ask our kids to do hard things all the time. We ask them to follow rules. They don't believe in all the time. Like let's, let's do that. And our, our, our community did, and they did better than anyone else I saw around the state of Oregon um, in terms of supporting kids in that way. And so I think about when you talk about, you know, religion, was the glue that held communities together. And then it was the nuclear, like all these different factors, um, you know, there's reasons why that doesn't work. Um, and it, it's, uh, you know, discriminatory towards certain groups or there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's never gonna be a, a way to get all people in the community around, um, you know, a certain way of thinking, but all people in the community will, get to, will come together for kids. If there's not a political agenda, if it's just the well-being of our kids, they'll come together for that. That's what I've found out anyway, living through this well, time. And you speak to it, right? The reality is, is we've become a more accepting and more diverse reality. Like the, the reality that we exist in is just more diverse than what existed when yes. a church or right. the nuclear family was the unifying factor right. of a community. The world has evolved right? The, the social structure has evolved for the better that we are more accepting. It is more diverse. We learn more about each other. We are so much more, we are having a conversation across the country right now. That's amazing. That is, that is for the better. Yeah. How do we then organize our world, our communities for the better around something, right? right. That is going to unify us. Right. Well, I, I it's a wonderful thought. It's it might be Pollyanna, it might it be pie in the sky, yeah. whatever it might be, but it's also real. Like yeah. people will unite around 
the benefit and what's best for their children. I mean, that's, that's, that's how we were created, right? Like make sure our species continues through our progeny. Um, so, so my question, and this is probably to both of you guys. And, and I, I think, um, certainly I, I don't want to discredit the advances in the evolution of education and, and those things, but is there, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's school shootings, maybe it's something else, but usually change doesn't happen until it's bad enough that we have to say, okay, we have to start over. I hate to even ask this question, but like, what is it for education? Because we've, we've, we've been having this conversation. We see it coming. You know, I kind of, I think of the, the, the movie don't look up on Netflix, right. right, Where it's Amazon or whatever, where it's like, I was just having a conversation about it because it's like the end of the world. There's that's going to end unless we do something and we just continue to choose to not do anything. And and then even to the very end of that movie, it's like, Oh, they're going to figure something out. Something's going to happen. There's no way it just ends this way. Boiler man. I mean, well, I watch it. I'm good. (laughs) If you haven't watched it, sorry, but 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 that's a little bit how it feels with with education yeah. right now. It's like okay, we yeah. see all these things, we have all these conversations, the meteors coming towards this. Uh, what is, gonna, is there something that it is going to change the course? Or I'm going to jump in with a with a specific question. To me, the pandemic was an amazing opportunity to rethink how we create opportunities for students to learn because, as though even though distance learning was really challenging. Some people and some educators did it exceptionally well and new opportunity. You know, I look at something like synthesis schools, right? They've created something in the last couple of years where it's like students want to opt in to learning online. Like there are opportunities where that is really functional. What did we miss? You know, like there, if the pandemic wasn't bouncing off the bottom for education and deciding what, what changes could come where does the, where does the motivation come from? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good, good question. I know I can speak to for myself because I feel like I'm someone that would love to engage in those conversations. And even I was sitting in my living room during distance learning saying, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for when we return to school. There's so such an opportunity to revolutionize the way we do things. Um, The reality is since um, the pandemic hit, I've taken four days off. Yeah. Four days in the last three years because I'm just responding to crisis or responding to mandates. So I know if you're, for those of us that are in the weeds of the work, sometimes we're too busy doing the job to do the work. Um, And so I would say it comes back to like when I said I made space every week in meetings to talk about what are we trying to accomplish? Are we, you know, are we on track accomplishing that? I think the state and the federal governments need to make space in the school year with personnel with time, with money to have these conversations, get thought leaders, but also like students and, you know, parents and, and everyone engaged in these conversations about, you know, I, my whole book, my, all my research is around what are schools for? Do you know, no one actually can answer that question. No one can answer the question, what are schools for? And so until we can answer that question, we're not going to revolutionize schools. You ask 17 different people, what's the purpose of schools? You're going to get 17 different answers. And, and so 17 me, strongly opinionated different yes. answers, right? For me, that's where it starts. And even when you're talking about distance learning and you say, 
there are so many students who are so successful in distance learning. I agree, but what does that mean, successful distance learning? Like they might have acquired credits or they might have acquired a skill set or an understanding um, of a certain content area, but did they get the well-rounded education that some of us believe schools are for? Did they become more socially intelligent? Did they have more advocacy skills? Did they learn how to be a leader in an environment? You know, like all these things are, they're worth asking. And so once we can determine like what are schools for, and, and my answer for that is a little bit bigger than people are comfortable with, which again is why I think schools should be the community hub. But I believe it's not just academic achievement, it's the intersection of academic achievement, foundational skills, like soft skills. So teamwork, collaboration, leadership, communication, all those pieces that are intangible, but are the reasons why you hire employees. So academic achievement, foundational skills, and then intrinsic drive. Because without those three pieces, Altogether, you're not going to have a human being that thrives in the way that they have the potential to do. Um, but when you really look at how do you achieve all three of those things, like at the intersection of those three things, that's that's a whole different experience than just acquiring credits in certain content areas. You know? I can't think of a better way to end that conversation than to say, what is school for? And to have you defined it in what your perspective is. Whatever your leadership challenge, whatever your role, maybe that's the question that you have to keep coming back to that's headlining, that's made space for, as you said, is what is this thing that we're doing for? Thank you for joining us. What an amazing conversation. Thanks for challenging us to think a little bit differently about how we can lead and lead in schools. So um, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jamie. Coming into this conversation, obviously, it was, for me, a little bit intimidating because I knew Amy's background is, you know, PhD, education, principal, administration. And and I was, part of me was struggling to understand, okay, where am I going to fit into this? And not, not necessarily that, but a little bit, right? And now I took two and a half pages of notes. Clearly awesome stuff. What What stood out to you? A couple of bullet points that you know, important for, for you and for our listeners to kind of reflect on moving forward. Well, I just, how often she uses the word purpose or mission or like the, the thing, the statement that sticks with me and lands with me the most is make the load worth carrying, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not make it easier. It's not lighten the burden for our, for our charges, right? If you're a leader, if you have employees, it's not make it easier for them. If you're a, teacher and you have students not make it easier for them and that that was always a frustration for me in the classroom right was always a frustration like do I just give them an A because that's easier right do I just you know like do we just give them A's because we don't want to be the barrier to them getting into a good school do we make the content simple enough to digest so that they're going to be successful? The answer is no. We have to motivate and move them in such a way that they understand that this thing that we're doing, even though there is challenge in it, it is difficult. It is worth it, right? It is worth walking up this hill right now with this thing on my back. Not easy. Not easy. That is like ultimately the thing that I keep coming back to, right? make it the load worth carrying. And, and see, I, I agree. I think that was the thing that stood out to me. 
And from my perspective, I guess I, I, I hear what you're saying and I heard it a little bit differently in terms of, or interpreted it in terms of not necessarily make the burden less like we're talking about, but eliminate things that aren't worth spending time and energy on. Right. And I think so often, and whether we're talking about schools or anything else, we, we spend time and energy on things that aren't getting us closer to our purpose, our mission, our, and what is this all about question. And so to me, it was, it was less about, like she said, it's not about making it easier, but it is about making it easier in that we, we only, and we are intentional about what are yeah. the actual important things here. And I don't know, you know, we're talking about education, looking back at all the schooling that I did, like, yeah, there's a lot of meaningless stuff that I think we go through the motions and we do just because, and whether it's, we have to, or supposed it's required yeah. or supposed to's, but I think that's where we lose people. And whether we're yeah. talking about kids or coaches or employees, it's like, well, why, why? And then it gets to the why, right? Why am yeah. I doing this? And it, it's cyclical. It's like, if it, yeah. if, it, if it comes back to, this is our purpose. This is what the skill is that you, and I think that's why the kids are buying in at, at yeah. her school, right? And the teachers, because they understand this is all building toward this thing that we want to accomplish. But how many times in these conversations have we heard things like be visible, be yeah. highly visible, be vulnerable, like don't just let it be words. Go back to coach Jay from episode 10, a hundred episodes ago. Don't just let it be words. It doesn't just live on letterhead. That's what she said, right? You have to model it and live it and engage in it. And when you do that, people are going to buy in, right? And even when it's hard, even like, so we, we narrow the field of focus and it gets a lot harder in that field, but it's exciting because all the leaders, all the people are living it. They're living it out loud and you see it and you're like, okay, I want to, I want to be like that too. I want to, I want to, I see that that's possible. I want to go and do that also. Appreciate you joining us as listeners, Jamie. Appreciate you. Amy Fast really brought the good juice today. Obviously appreciate her. And as always, live eyes up.